You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. And welcome to Spookulative Evolution. Hello, Allie. Hello, Will. Hello, David. Note to the editor, please insert an audio clip of the sound that Triffids make. <laughs> Will. <laughs> We'll discuss that. We'll discuss the sound they make a little bit later. (laughs) You can retroactively. Excellent. I'll do an impression. (laughs) And hello, listeners. Welcome to the final episode, episode four of Spooky, Spooculative Evolution for 2021. One more time. One more time around the thing. With feeling. Yes, with gusto. (laughs) We will be describing triffids today, discussing them. And then evolving them. So we'll go into what those are in just a moment. But first, for anyone who's new to this show, this is our show where we discuss classic monsters in movie and myth and legend and go over what they are and then how we could achieve those or similar features for a very reminiscent creature in the real world under our knowledge of evolution and natural selection to try to get a naturally evolved monster. This year we've been doing we've been discussing monster plants, which is why it's not just me and David. We also have Allie with us. That's why I'm here. I'm the plant friend. <laughs> uh, and we're thrilled. Yeah. And today's plant is triffids. Now, triffids may be recognizable to some uh, and less so to others. It is one of the more famous plant monsters when it comes to uh, uh, culture and media. Uh, but I didn't know about them until the first time. I I had someone say we should talk about them, Mm -hmm. and then I learned all about them. Triffids are the titular monster for a story, a novel, published in 1951 called Day of the Triffids. They are stalk-like, tall plant creatures that walk around and have a deadly sting. We will go into more detail of their features, but the history of these monsters start in that novel by John Wyndham. The general plot is that in this world, in this version of Earth, there are these plants, triffids. No one knows where they come from for sure, but they are predatory plants that produce an oil that is incredibly useful for industrial purposes. Huh. So. So they're like whales. Yeah, it's it's one of those. This is like if uh, if tigers produced whale oil. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> The cultivation of triffids becomes a global uh, business practice. You can prune them to make them safe to be around. So they actually start becoming common in greenhouses and gardens as well. But the farmed ones aren't pruned because they produce better oil if they're still dangerous. The main plot beat that happens in the story is that our main character, Bill Mason, is in the hospital because he got some triffid venom on his eyes and was temporarily blind or he was slashed across the eyes i don't remember if it was which one it was for sure and is in the hospital with gauze covering his eyes well while he's in the hospital a strange meteor shower comes into our atmosphere with that gives off an unusual green light and everyone who views said meteor shower is blinded Mm. and so globally a huge portion of the population is suddenly permanently blind bill wakes up to a world where he is one of the few remaining sighted individuals due to his gauze and injury. And now the rest of the story takes place in a 
apocalyptic England, where he is trying to survive among raiders and despots who are trying to rise to power, whilst Triffids have now become loose. Without anyone to care for them and to corral them, they have started to break out and escape you know, the facilities where they were cultivated, and those that were harmless start to regrow and now there are predatory plants roaming around a population of blind people. This story has been readapted many times. The first novel was in 1951. Uh, there was a feature film by the same name in 1962. Multiple radio dramas from 1950s all the way up to 2001. Two different TV series in 1981 and 2009. And this was the inspiration for the movie 28 Days Later. You know, it's funny. You were talking about <laughs> the setup and I was thinking 28 Days yep. Later. Which, for anyone who is unfamiliar, 28 Days Later is about a guy who's in a coma or some sort of medical thing. And then he wakes up to find that the world has been attacked by zombies. Yes. Uh, this The original novel was also inspired by H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Oh, okay. okay. Which is also about people surviving in a post-apocalyptic event. Right. More about how humanity reacts to these situations than the actual cause of the apocalypse right which is also the case in 28 days later and indeed most zombie movies yep <laughs> also a fun note i found the original working title for war of the worlds was the day of the tripods oh <laughs> that's so good that's pretty cool isn't that awesome <laughs> <laughs> oh that's very good nice well done Wyndham. see what you did there now the stories that go into the variety of retellings are slightly different as are triffids themselves. So let's go over what triffids are. Triffids, named for the three legs they have. I read from one source that the original pronunciation was going to be trifids. Ah. And so tri-footed. Yep. This is because these plants have three pseudo-root-like structures at the base that act as legs and feet. Right. They have sort of a bulbous yeah. body with foot-like lobes, which make me think of both P.D. Piranha and <laughs> Alolan Exeggutor. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> for the Nintendo fans. <laughs> now, for the origins of these creatures, it is never explained in the novel. Uh, a few characters speculate. Bill Mason, the main character, suspects that they are of USSR origin and were biological weapons that then escaped. Right. Made by the Russians. Yep. Because... Of when this was written. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Others, like the 62 film, portrays that they are flat-out aliens. Yep. Obviously. Not an uncommon decision for Monster Plan Origins. Uh, in the first TV series, they were definitely Soviet. <laughs> like, they, I think they even named the biologists who made them. And then they get released when they are being smuggled by plane and dispersed. Okay. Mm, and then in 2009, they are naturally occurring. They are just a species of plant. That then were selectively bred for their oils. For an audience that isn't going to buy just the uber convenient concept that they're aliens, but also doesn't just by default hate Russia. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, now, as for where they lived, they were are said to be uh, temperate to tropical, but they definitely grow faster and bigger in the tropics. Checks out. And so they are, are found worldwide other than the poles. Also checks out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The characteristics, what a triffid is physically, is typically divided into three sections, the base, the trunk, and the head. The base is that bulbous section that has three root-like feet. 
The trunk is a tall, sometimes described as rigid, sometimes more flexible stem portion that comes up. And then the head is a funnel or flower-shaped structure where the stinger is held. Typically, they would stand about seven foot tall, so just a little bit more than two meters, with some being described, like especially tropical ones were described as getting up to like 10 foot, three meters. And in a couple of the other stories, there are even bigger ones. In the sequel novel that was written later by a different author, they described some in North America that were 60 foot tall, wow, 18 meters. Uh, But that's non-canon, you know, that's a secondary. I'm not talking about that. (laughs) Purists. So let's work our way from the bottom up. The base, three blunt root-like structures that act as feet and legs. When the plant is dormant, it will use these as temporary or pseudo-roots to take nutrients from the ground. When it is active, it uses these to walk around. The walking is described as like that of a man with a crutch, in that it will move two of the feet forward, and then they specifically lurch to drag the back one up with it, and then slide the front two forward again, all the while the stem waving with each motion. Hmm. You know, violently, sometimes it was described. That's such an effective visual. Right? Yeah. Cool. And it's said that they can achieve a speed of about average human walking speed. Uh, so it couldn't chase you down, but it could maintain, it could stroll with you. But right. if you don't like know they're zombie. coming. Yeah. Uh, they trap you in the mall. <laughs> they... <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> <laughs> The legs are also said to be covered by shaggy root-like hairs, uh, like aerial roots. Mm -hmm. Above that, we get to the stalk, the stem, and where those two meet, just above the bulb, there are sticks, uh, leafless sticks called clatter sticks that point straight up along the stem body. And the triffids will drum on themselves with these clatter sticks. Oh. To make a, a rapping sound, just like a, a drumming sound. They never explain definitely what this is for. A- everyone in the book are a little confused by it. It's proposed that it could be part of their re- reproductive system. Others believe it might be to communicate. Uh, there is even one suggestion that it might be a form of echolocation. It is stated, though, that if you remove those sticks, the triffid starts to die. It will start to deteriorate physically. So this is a key part of the Triffid. It needs its clatter sticks. So that's, you should have gotten some drumsticks. Well, you know, it's funny for the sound thing. I did actually look up clips from, I think Mm -hmm. it ended up being the miniseries. And I heard the noises they meant and I went, no, I'm going to make a joke instead. (laughs) (laughs) The the clip that I found, it sounded like the Predator. Yeah. That's supposed to be the clatter sticks. That's the clatter sticks rumbling on them. It's, it's funny, right? Because, like, you're telling me about how this thing walks. And my brain was like, yes, that's fine. And then you start telling me about the clatter sticks. And my brain goes, mm, I don't buy that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> right? Like, don't know why that was the line. <laughs> it's triffids are, na- are nature's drum line. Yes, yes. <laughs> the stem section is basically just a stalk. It's, you know, there's nothing particular about it. Sometimes it's described as having leaves. Uh, Sometimes there's leaves around the base, uh, but it's just a stalk, somewhat flexible typically, and usually moving, like I saying, waving while it walks. The top of that, though, is the head, which is a 
funnel-like structure, sometimes leaf-like in some of the readaptations. And inside it, even though it's never described, the original art shows three stamen coming out. So reproductive structures like in a flower. But the main feature is in there, there is a wound-up cord, which was described as looking like a rolled-up fern frond. Okay. And, and the inside of the funnel has sticky goo, sticky resin, or sap of some sort that traps insects. Uh, so it's supposed to be kind of a picture plant-esque thing going on, but it's sticky instead of drowning. The f- rolled up frond, though, is the stinger, and this is what makes it a monster. <laughs> this thing, when unfurled, was described to be up to 10 feet long, so three meters long, a tentacle-like tendril, which at the end has a sting, a stinger to it. Mm. So it like lashes out. Yep. Like a sheer shoe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's so it's it's like a poisonous whip, a uh, toxic whip. Thorn whip. Uh, that was also described as being sticky sometimes. So it may have also been able to catch things with the stickiness. Oh, that's cool. Like a frog. Yeah. Right. It will use this stinger to lash at prey items, animals, typically aiming for their head or face. And when stung, the... Venom is powerful enough to kill a full-grown human. And once they've killed their prey, they will just sidle over to the body, take root, and let it decompose. Mm-hmm. Oh. And feed off of the rotting corpse. Yeah. I am so into this. Right? Making your own fertilizer. Uh-huh. Now, the the head is the key to making them benign. If you remove that funnel, they become harmless. And it doesn't kill the plant. So you can have pruned triffids and be perfectly safe as long as you prune them annually because in two years they will regrow the stinger. Mm -hmm. I did find one description on the triffid info website. Uh, So I don't know where this is from. They didn't give which of the versions this this description comes from. This is the website that the triffids created. Right? (laughs) This is their their (laughs) counterintelligence that described them as eating by using the stinger to pluck pieces of flesh off and place it into the funnel. Compared to the trunk of an elephant picking up food, which, yeah, I agree with your expression, Allie. That's a bit (laughs) bit sillier than the taking root. And the taking root is the original and the version I saw most commonly. Yeah. See, the difference was when you said taking root, I lit up and got real excited. You say pick pizzas off like an elephant. And I'm just like, "Mm, not into that. (laughs) Reproduction. It is described that there are dark green pods under the funnel that when it's time for them to reproduce will swell and burst with air dispersing seeds. Okay. I don't know where this, like why this is significant, but it was listed multiple times that 95% of them are infertile. Like most don't either don't get fertilized or just don't make it, I guess, but Hmm. it's not going to spread a field of triffids is what it sounds like. Which make that does make sense, right? Like plants are like, here are all my babies. Hopefully someone makes it. Uh, the yep. thing that I'm real hung up on, though, is you skipped a step in reproduction. <laughs> no, and, you know. Seeds! When it's time for them to make seeds, they make seeds. Right. right. I don't see... But like, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I desperately want to know how this is pollinated, given yeah. that they put murder slime... In the place where you need to be pollinated. I can only assume that the lash 
scrapes pollen off the inside of one flower and then whips out into oh. the funnel of another one. Well, no, they're like the uh, they're like slugs where they have to fence first to figure out who's going to <laughs> yes. be the male and who's going to be the female with their stingers. Yeah, and then and then they pollinate one another. Or the 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 tongues. The stingers come out and like wrap around each other, yeah. like, oh, like the banana slugs, like the banana slugs, yeah. or like snakes, or or like the navi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, that's it. Yeah, yeah and then they're inter uh, exchanging reproductive material. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm down I'm down with this. Okay, cool. Thank you, thank you for clarifying. Canon. <laughs> In truth, I found not a single mention of that. Hmm. Uh, nothing. At no point does anyone. In any of the versions that people wrote over and over again over the last 50 years, did anyone think to describe their pollination? I am fundamentally upset about that. Right? <laughs> Listen, now's our chance. Oh, I, this is it. I am all over this. Definitive Triffid reproduction. <laughs> canon. It's canon. Yeah. <laughs> now... Another th- topic that comes up in the stories a lot of time is the vagueness of Triffid intelligence to where a lot of the characters will comment on there's no nervous system, there's no sign of a brain, and yet their behavior sure does seem purposeful. They aim for faces, but also when people are stung, it's almost always at exposed skin, uh, hand and arms, avoiding coverings. Uh, they talk about the fact that they seem to be aware of their surroundings. In the original story, there are tellings of them cornering the blinded into places where they're easier to catch, chasing them into a place where they now won't be able to escape. Also, that they will take root outside of houses and buildings next to the door to try to catch people as they leave. Cool. Things like that. I am team Triffid, like... Right? It's fantastic. (laughs) And that they obviously can sense their... Like, they can respond to sound. And there's the uh, idea that the clatter sticks are either to communicate with one another or to sense their environment. But it's never explained exactly how aware a Triffid is. They also do mention some of the things that deter a Triffid. Guns don't work. Okay. Unsurprisingly. Like Audrey (laughs) 2. Fire does. Makes sense. Also unsurprising. Right, right. Fitting. And it was described that electric fences will deter them, but not kill them. Unlike Audrey too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now they do have some varieties that show up in the other adaptations. In the 62 version, they also had extra slashing vines uh, in the lower section of the plant that could be used as an off- offensive weapon and to drag bodies to themselves. They also interpreted the stinger as a gas-propelled toxin, as a puff of toxin instead of a stinging vine, uh, probably due to movie special effects of the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's much easier to show that with practical effects. In the 2009 TV series, they also had these constricting roots which could grab victims and people, but also that they would use to move themselves a lot of the time. They, I believe, also interpreted the head as much more flower-like instead of just a funnel, instead of picture, you know, pitcher plant-like. And this, as well as the original novel, showed the stinger as being strong enough to, like, punch through a window. Uh, So, like, very powerful lashing attacks. While a lot of the other films and interpretations made them a bit more weak and not nearly as violent. 
punching, being able to punch through a window is pretty standard monster requirement, yes. right? For modern movies, if yes. you can't get me through a window, then why am I scared of you? Right. What's even the, if you can't get me through this sugar glass? <laughs> if the stuntman can do it and you can't, and then one last interesting thing I found is once again in the sequel, Night of the Triffids, uh, it was mentioned that some people have built up immunities by either being lightly exposed to the toxin or ingesting parts of the plants while having to eat it. And then there was one child that was said to be immune and it was suggested that she was born immune to the toxin. That that has basis in the real world. Absolutely. So triffids. There's more specific details here and there. There are some more varieties, but in general, that's the monster. Uh, This is one of the first times we have like a detailed stat sheet. We got the stat block for the monster. <laughs> yeah. Like we had like the novel and various movies and stuff. The novel was very detailed about what a triffid is. So we have a lot of info of what the author thought these creatures should be like. So once again, <laughs> it seems one of our prime challenges in evolving this particular plant monster is getting a plant that moves a lot and this one is this one, one walks it sways it clatters we it can't really a... avoid the movement it has to move if it's a so triffid is this and this is a question for ellie is our naturally evolved triffid old man windham in a triffid costume <laughs> <laughs> i would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids <laughs> Just pull the funnel off. Yeah. <laughs> I almost want to say yes, just to like, and that's it. We're done. <laughs> now we did it. We well, did. now we have it to come up with what his, what his plot was. <laughs> Why how did he, he pull it? it off? How did he blind everyone? Were the meteors just a projector onto some sm- onto a fog machine? <laughs> no, I want to build a plant. <laughs> so how do we get a plant to move? I do have some thoughts. <laughs> Magic warning. Oh, oh yes. yeah, we yeah. should put the magic. <laughs> this is definitely a good time for it. Now, no, at no point is any magic described in these stories. These are pure sci-fi. Right. This isn't like mandrakes and talking trees. Like It's meant to be scientific. Yeah. These are categorized under science fiction. But, <laughs> yeah, they are still fantastical. They are still unrealistic. There's a reason we don't have triffids running around today. So we will have we will get as close as we can, but there are going to be some limitations. The, the prehensile trunk vine plucking food Mm-mm. probably not going to happen. No. Right, probably I'm not going to get to that. <laughs> Bit of a stretch, <laughs> literally. So I have a thought about moving plants. Okay, I'm here for it. I'm so down. I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw this out there because we thought we've talked about you know the way that triffids move is just moving their roots mm-hmm. and we've talked that there are plants that move uh-huh here's a here's a thought that I had I'm gonna throw it out there take it you know deal with it what do you think of a vine that grows quickly on which the triffid is an outgrowth so as the vine stretches across its environment it's dragging along this large structure that is not itself actually moving it's just being moved as the vine grows yeah that was the one that was the one thought i had of like how could i get a plant to actually move in a noticeable motion hmm i hmm (laughs) my first thought is that that probably wouldn't be a vine 
It would be a stolen, which is a, like a like a ground branch. Sure. I, I don't know. See, my my problem is still the roots. Right. Mm-hmm. It, the, the roots of the elephant it, in the room. <laughs> it does need to be rooted. Yeah, it either needs to be rooted or not rooted. Like, yeah. and and triffids can root down if they want to, but whenever they're moving, they are completely unrooted. Right. They they could walk across pavement. Right. And be fine. If again, we don't have to go with this, but just following the logical pro- progression. If the stolen is rooting along the way, you could have it moving this triffid body along. But it wouldn't mm-hmm. be. I'd, I'm sorry. I'm not on board with this. Uh, just That's because okay. I don't think it would like, <laughs> and it wouldn't pull. It would just like, this is where I'm going. Yeah, because it grows from the front. Yeah. Um, no, when I like so hung up on and have been from the moment y'all said triffid are the walking palms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, but, like, I feel like we would have, to, like, obviously we'd have to do adjustments because of the pace. <laughs> yep. Right. Not, not fast enough. But also, side note, I have been holding on to this fact since the beginning. So, you mentioned that triffids were, like, big business because of the oil um, and that it was an industrial oil. Well, there's a plant that fills that role today. There is a plant that filled the role of whale oil when we stopped hunting whales and that's jojoba. Oh, cool. So like, that's totally based in fact. Cool. (laughs) So yes. So we got that part. Uh, Yeah. I just wanted to throw that out there. Like that, that's, that's true. That's real. Like we did that. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So I was thinking of two different things though. So like the walking palm. Yes. But also like there are plants with really weak root systems. Like that's not where, like they're not getting their 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 nutrients from rooty roots, but more like aerially roots. But that's like so maybe you could do something with that. I don't know. You mentioned this when we talked about the the people eating plants of tumbleweeds. Yes. Or maybe you mentioned that in walking trees. Uh, mm-hmm. But you mentioned that for a way of mobility. Thinking about weak roots, and this isn't technically walking, but I got the image of a, a triffid that is rooted, but like just real shallow, barely, like you don't have to dig more than an inch down to find the bottom of the plant uh, sort of thing. And its roots are just these real thin hair roots, uh, nothing robust, so that it could very easily either wither those roots or detach them and just be able to fall over and move, be rolled or be blown or roll downhill and then re-root and slowly grow back upright. Because then that has kind of the active, inactive states of the plant. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. I do have another thought. I'm ready. Could you have a plant that carries around soil with it? So a triffid, the, the base of the triffid is this bulbous shape. Yeah. Could you have it such that, so that the true roots face inward and it it just collects soil inside there that it replenishes every now and then like could you have a plant that is carrying around somehow it's soil that would require it to otherwise be rooted in the ground yeah i am i don't i don't i don't even know how that would work my first thought is (laughs) but it would rain and then all its soil would get washed away (laughs) it could be in a little could you have a plant that lives in its own pot (laughs) <laughs> and can move itself around <laughs> with this pot. I, like Smash Brothers Piranha Plant. 
Yes. <laughs> also, Audrey 2 yes. in the brief s- sequence in the 86 movie where it moves. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't have a... Hmm. I'm leaning towards no. Again. <laughs> I keep just shooting down everything for you this time, David. Like, nah, 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 nah. That's true. Not on board with that one either. <laughs> I have one more suggestion. Oh, I'm so excited. Before we start. Because with the, with the walking trees, we yeah. did eventually come to like, yeah, okay, they are kind of moving. Yeah. But you're not going to see it happen. But yeah. you could like, I love the thought of waking up in the morning and there are triffids at the door. Yeah. Yes. Like you might not actually see them run after you, but they can move toward their stuff. Right. We could also uh, bring in the idea of a symbiotic relationship again. Okay. This is true. Is there some sort of animal that is carrying the plant around? Can we invoke fungi somehow to take advantage of their, A, rapid growth, and B, ability to enhance the effectiveness of roots to allow a plant to put down roots very quickly? Ooh. I really like the idea of, like, mycorrhizal, mm-hmm. like, like situation. Yeah, because I think that... What we need is speedy movement and like resilient roots that like you basically that can handle being periodically uprooted. Right. I really, I'm still really hung up on the palm idea because even if you think about like not walking palms, but like palmy palms, Mm -hmm. their root ball is itty bitty. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, their root ball is not very big, but they're propped up very often by these kind of like stilt roots mm-hmm. that are much more robust. So like, this does feel like a stretch, but I really don't care because that's the <laughs> whole point of this. Like, yeah, yep. if you can kind of have this exaggerated, accelerated root formation, like, yes, I am now on top of a dead body and I would like to suck up all the nutrients that K thinks by... Like, I'm just, I don't know. Like, how do you make a plant move? Because <laughs> like, well, like, the way plants move, like like flytrap movement and stuff like yeah. that, it's typically hydraulic pressure, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we we have a physical way to cause motion. It's just... Wa- now, now, and it never says the walking is lifting. It's just dragging yes. uh, the feet. It doesn't sound like the feet typically are going... You wouldn't find triffid footprints. You would try to drag mark. <laughs> As they just scrunch forward with the three limbs. If we're using flytrap style movement as a inspiration, uh, it could be that the movement happens in quick bursts. Yeah. yeah. That it could be that, like, I, you know, as an idea, maybe you grow roots out in a direction and then there's a rapid contraction yeah. that kind uh-huh. of drags the body of the plant forward a little bit. In- Which is how they described when it drags the f- third foot, it described it as a lurch. Yeah, mm-hmm. that it lurches forward to bring it up with the other two. Yeah. Now you'd ha- you'd then have to grow roots forward again, get them implant. So it would still be very slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it could be motion in like bursts. Yeah. yeah, and also I feel like that like shambling motion works really well with the whole like zombie uh, association. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets that sway of yeah. the stem yeah. if it's a quick motion. Yeah, so it's like you're not gonna be. It's not gonna be human walking speed. But you could have it to where across a day you could watch a triffid jerk two or three or four times mm-hmm. as it is making its way somewhere. And you uh, could see it move. Yeah. this It wouldn't be like you wake up the next morning and it's in a different place. It's like, no, I saw that plant yeah. 
shift a little bit. Yep. Yeah. And uh, if they're not huge, uh, when you mentioned seven, you were like, say, they are seven feet tall. And my I, my first reaction was, wow, that's big. And then my second reaction was, no, it's a plant. Yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing. It's yep. bigger than <laughs> yep. a human, but that's actually yeah. small for a plant. <laughs> that's not that. It's not that big, actually. And if, and if they're not like heavy, woody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they're if they're more herbaceous, then yeah, that more could of a banana tree than a tree tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, that's what that's kind of part of the reason why I'm leaning more towards palm than like tree tree, because yeah. then you have you have this combination of like the shallow root ball, these kind of aerial stilt roots, and they're much more flexible. And that's kind of what you were talking about with like the waving trunk. And so I feel like that kind of all pulls that together. Mm-hmm. The other thing I like about palm, and you can correct me if I have if my image in my head is wrong, okay. but I often think about palms as having these those sort of plate like or shingle like bark, yeah, which could easily clatter, yeah, when yep, they yep. move, Ooh, yeah, yeah. If yeah. it's kind of loose for whatever reason, you get uh, kind of a rattlesnake thing going. You get kind of a rattle in that loose bark uh, yeah. towards the base. That could sort of be our uh, version of. The clatter sticks. I like that. And it could still function as a, uh, you know, it could still have a function, but it's not that they are intentionally moving it. Although they could, (laughs) again, they could be if we're going with the sort of rapid movement. Well, And I I like that as well, because if we are going with that, it's it's moving these little bursts, but then it would have to grow the two roots forward again before it can do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It means that like in an area with triffids, you wouldn't be, they wouldn't be chasing you. You wouldn't see them rushing at you from the forest, but you would just hear like, yes. Yeah. As they move just periodically. One yes. at a time every now and then. So the other thing too, in the story, if you remove the clatter sticks, it kills the plant. Yeah. Right. And the reason I think that that, that our, your explanation works really well with that is that I don't know if this is true of Paul's but it is true of tree trees that if you girdle it, so you remove the bark in a strip all the way around, you will kill it. Right, because you're cutting off the vascular system. Exactly, you're cutting off its circulation. So that's kind of the same thing. If you remove one of those strips, like that might, I don't 100% know, I don't work with monocots, but like that feels (laughs) like it's probably a similar sort of thing that like, ooh, you could do some damage if you like, you know, Take bits yeah. off of it. Yeah, like, maybe maybe you'd you'd have to. You couldn't just break it in half, but like if you pull it out by the root, you're actually mm-hmm. yanking out parts of the bark where the vascular yeah. system might which, be. Which is yeah. fitting because there was one description. Uh, not, I don't think it was in the main book uh, that you can mangle, you can mm-hmm. uh, damage the clatter sticks without killing it, and that can that'll affect their I think reproductive cycle if I remember right. But you can't destroy them. You can't remove them uh, because then they will die. All right. I I like this sort of uh, rapid contraction of the roots every now and then to kind of drag the plant along. Well, because then it means that like it may not rush up to your doorstep. But like if there's a trail you take every so often, Mm -hmm. there could suddenly be a triffid uh, uh, next week. Mm-hmm. along the trail or something or yes. you know where you're not able to observe them regularly from your porch they could move into locations throughout the forest or throughout right. your land over the weeks and months and we did in 
uh, the trees episode, not uh, the spooky trees episode, <laughs> talk about the ways plants might sense their environment mm-hmm. to then move in a direction. And we had talked about them following sound or following gravity. In this case, uh, the, the idea that comes most prominently to mind is chemical cues. Yes. If you're being mm-hmm. attracted to like corpses, that's something that you can pick up from the air, which plants can already do, right? Yeah. They have chemical communication. Yeah. And it could you could easily see how a plant might get confused by the smells of a populated area, especially if there's lots of food or mm. lot or like a graveyard or something. Well and and if it's you know, if you're if it's looking for uh, corpses to grow next to and take the nutrients from, and so it's following those scents, it would also make sense if you react to the scent of just you know, where animals tend to frequent, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that could be either in the air, but that could also be along the ground, you know, following right. the scent trails, the chemicals yeah. with those roots and yeah. changing direction as you need to. And that way it's not that you're just going towards where a corpse is, because that would take you forever, but <laughs> that you are heading towards what senses like populated areas where animals are so that you are there when a corpse yes. <laughs> shows up. So you have to move less far. It's a concentration gradient. Yes. Yes. Like, they're just finding the the highest concentration. That's all. That's what plants do. (laughs) And I like the thought that, because they're rooted most of the time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe finding a nice corpse is just a benefit for reproductive purposes Mm -hmm. or something like that. Oh, yes. Because very often when you're, like, fruiting, like, yes, I'm going to put as much of my... I'm going to put as much of my energy into this as I possibly can. So, like, hey, if you're going to give me, like, bonus dead people nutrients, like, yes, I will put those into my seeds. Mm -hmm. Well, and isn't it true, again, I'm going to say some plant knowledge that you can uh, weigh in on, uh, that there are many plants where it is the case that you will reproduce asexually Mm-hmm. until the situation is right that you can then reproduce sexually. Yeah, so I have heard it described that plants are uh, not obligate sexual reproducers, but facultative sexual reproducers. So they don't have to reproduce sexually. They can just, you know, vegetative, this is my son, he is my clone. Right. He is my or, leg. He is my leg. <laughs> uh, but if, yeah, if, you have everything that you need, then yes, you can, you know, actually put that effort in. Um, Cause like, for example, like a cactus cacti, I'm just going to like sprout little bits off of them. All the, I have, I've had a cactus for more than 10 years and it's honking huge. And it is never not once flowered. Yeah. <laughs> like, which makes and It's not going to be pollinated when it is. Right. So yeah, it could be that once you find a nice corpse mm-hmm. to settle down on, yeah. <laughs> now you can, yep. you know, put in the effort for fruiting yep. and such. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I just like that. Find a nice corpse, settle down. Yeah. Well, it's when things are stable. Yeah. You know, you can start thinking about kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like uh, the big thing that remains is the other elephant in the room. Yep. Yes. Which is the venomous stinger. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. All right, I got thoughts. All right. So I am actually much more on board with the puff yep. than with the sting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. That was easy. Yeah. That, that took zero selling. <laughs> well, it's, now, it, I mean, we can still, if we want, 
If we can get a sting, that would be awesome. That'd be awesome, but... And that would be more true to most versions of them. Yes. Right. But yeah, uh, the puff is much more plant. Yes. That, that, that's much more, yeah, that's much more planty. Uh, even if we wanted to do a symbiosis with a fungus, like, so that it was like a puffing mushroom head (laughs) that grew with the plant, Mm -hmm. that would also be very, very easy to perceive, you know, conceive. My first thought was, what if there is like a large cone snail like creature (laughs) that lives in the head and like our... Uh, other symbiosis examples mm-hmm. is there to protect the plant yep. with its, its stingy lash. Uh, again, symbiotic relationship. Something's protecting it. Although I did just have the other thought. What if there is a vine? And maybe it doesn't even roll up. Maybe it's just perpetually hanging out of the top. And when it lurches forward, the vine swings around and is a momentary defense for the brief moment where the plant is vulnerable during motion. That actually gives me an idea. Uh, along those lines of the vine being just out there flaccid, that it could maybe be something to where it kind of like our funeral flower, it doesn't react react until it is engaged. And I'm, I'm kind of picturing the barnacles uh, from Half-Life, and trouble in terrorist town yep. uh that <laughs> it is it could be hanging there it's supposed to be sticky that's canon mm-hmm. and it could even have maybe small velcro like barbules or something but like when if you're walking the forest and not paying attention and get hit by it then it responds and tries to pull right. or tries yeah. to like or like a sundew it'll wrap it'll mm-hmm. wrap you know or mm-hmm. something or it will maybe that's when it then you know, the chemical reaction is triggered to go, all right, uh, all these little barbs, you know, envenomate in, in or something. And it, it's more like, like fly paper, like the, the, the fly tape that you hang up right. than it is a bullwhip. Uh, that makes me have another thought. What if that vine that hangs out there is sticky and its job is to catch pollen out of the air? And when it has oh. caught enough of it... It rapidly retracts. Yes. But the retraction could also be triggered by the pressure of someone touching it. And the rapid retraction has the effect of, you know, like... Scraping. Scraping mm-hmm. or, or sort of whipping, kind of, well, and, and on the, its way up. The rapid retraction also makes sense if that's also a way for it to catch extra insects. Oh, that's uh, true, yeah. So yeah. it could bring in yeah. pollen and insects into... Food. And it, that the sticky stuff is not necessarily meant to be toxic, but if it gets in our bloodstream, like, right. It could be one of those situations where it's bad for people, even if that's not no. the purpose of it. Yeah. Or if it scrapes you on the way up, yeah. now you have a cut and it's infected. And this stuff is real gross. Yeah. And this stuff yeah. is nasty. It's full of dead insects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this is, this is not going to be good to get into a wound. And so people become septic very quickly or something. I'm really enjoying this particularly because it has an explanation for pollination. Right? Right. See? <laughs> we did it. I'm so happy about that. Uh, now, if that's the case, it would actually make a lot more sense for it to have a number of vines. Yeah. Like three yes. or four of them draped Ooh, down and the sides. it might be that you have a couple of them that are for a pollen collection and a puffy one that is just a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> you could have that. 
it could have multiple, but it could be something to where uh, the once it's retracted, it takes it a while to get back out. Mm-hmm. So usually only one or two are out. Right. Yeah. And that it's cycling through them. But you're not usually going to see one with a, a bunch of them out. You're only going to see one out because the others have been retracted and are taking a while to be released. It could even you could even say that uh, each one can only do it so many times. Similar yeah. to a fly trap. Yeah. Where after a certain number of snaps, the leaves wither away. Because you have like this mechanical limit. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. then it could be like shark teeth where it's cycling through its mm-hmm. its angler vine to have one out and it's growing the next ones to get ready for when that one wears out. <gasps> it's an angler fig. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, man. Dr. Allie Baumgartner, everybody. <laughs> I'm so proud of that. That's amazing. Fantastic. <sighs> and then we don't have to worry about copyright. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'll be the spooky verse name. There we go. <laughs> the angler pick. That's oh, awesome. I'm so proud of myself, guys. <laughs> oh, cool. All right, that that's a pretty cool idea and if, uh, and if we want to add to it it could also be thorny as a defense mechanism oh yeah so that it is yeah, if yeah. you if you touch it not only does it retract for protection but it also maybe hurts you along the way yeah kind of the way that i'm thinking about that is that if you have kind of like the prickles say a rose those are directional mm-hmm. so Whoa. if you were to they're right? retractable so, or are no. they they're they're recurved i mean yeah you have it yeah recurved. that's what i mean yeah yeah you, you were thinking cat claws. Uh, I was. You're no, like, the recurve yes. like snake teeth. <laughs> yes. And also cat claws. And also cat claws. Yeah. So maybe it's it's a kind of the side effect of like the when it retracts, it kind of just scrapes across you. Completely unrelated. Because maybe that, who knows? Because maybe that'll help. Maybe that kind of like helps funnel the pollen where yeah. it needs to go. So it can be pushed in. That It could also be just a thing of like, hey, every herbivore around me. Don't chew on this part. Yes. Please don't it. chew on my angler vine. It's I really would appreciate it if you didn't. So yes. I'm gonna cover it in spikes <laughs> and, to and make sap it. and yeah. Yes. Don't chew on this is kind of important. Yeah. Because <laughs> the spikes aren't gonna b- bother the bugs and the pollen yeah. that are gonna land no. on No. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Man. That oh, that's it's just like a hooked whip. It's, that's terrifying. I'm so so into it. Yeah, I don't, I'm just relieved that it, we figured out how it pollinates, like, right? or how it's pollinated, because I was really genuinely <laughs> upset about that. Well, I mean, I think the obvious op- the obvious canon explanation in the book is that they kiss. Right. Yeah. The turfits just run up to each other and funnel to funnel. Okay, that made my brain go, cloacal kiss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like that. Just like that. You know what else I like about that? Huh. It adds an if the not the cloacal kissing, but the <laughs> oh, angler, I'm checked out now. The angler vine. <laughs> what I like about that uh, is that it adds a an extra reason why these plants would be attracted to decaying remains. Mm-hmm. Not only is that a potential source of nutrient for you for your roots, but also there will be bugs hanging yeah. out there. Yum yum yeah. flies. So it's a, it's a smorgasbord above and below. Yes, there right. are nutrients to be had. Oh yes. I like that. I'm very happy with that. That's pretty cool. It's not quite a lash. No. No. It's, it's not, not aiming. It's not aiming at the face uh, or anything. 
And that, I mean, that was going to be one of the biggest things we like making a, a, a cognitive plant. Right. That was going to be real tricky to we, figure yeah. out a that way around. Probably would have required some sort of an animal lives in the head. <laughs> we, we would have yeah. to add a brain. Right. There's a, <laughs> right. there's a, just a really mean frog that lives <laughs> in the head of the plant that has a cone snail tongue that just <laughs> wards things away from the plant. Well, yeah. And it's one of those things, right? Where I, I was trying so hard because it's like, okay, like what can plants perceive? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. like waves. Okay. Concentration gradients. Okay. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a stretch. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> How far can you take those things? It's hard to get it aiming for the eyes. And uh, I mean, I'd be yeah. tempted to go with insects again because they could do it. It's yeah. just a chain of bees. <laughs> There's not actually a vine. It's just, it's like the, the ants in the jungle that make, it's just a chain of ants. It's just bees on threads. (laughs) It's like nerds rope, but it's bees. It makes me think of like, it just like, oh, you know, coming too close. Like, what's this thing looking down and getting whipped in the face? Like, no, no, it it didn't mean to hurt you. Well, and. (laughs) <laughs> it could it could very easily be a situation of like well yeah uh, most of the time it, it it attacks un it attacks exposed skin so well yeah it's hitting people on the hand and arm when they reach for yeah the What's plant this like thing? that's that's why it's doing that it could be that it could also be uh, like in addition to that that it's like oh yeah every time you get stung it's on exposed skins well yeah because it didn't. Because it didn't sting you through your shirt. Right, exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's the survivorship yes. bias. Exactly. It's yes, like exactly. You, every plane that gets that comes back is only shot up in the wings. Yeah. And it's not none of them are shot in the, the cockpit. Isn't that weird? Well, no. Yeah, those didn't come back. <laughs> those are the ones that came back, the others didn't. Yeah. yeah if it's it scraped your shirt, then yeah, you didn't have to go to the Well, it's you probably like... didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah. So it could be, yeah, just a because of the way it happens, a seemingly logical story but yeah it reminds me kind of of this thing where humans being animals really like to assign like intention to things including plants yeah we mm-hmm. we will anthropomorphize anything anything and a triffid being like i would tripedal <laughs> like it is it is upright it is moving it like it sort of has limbs. It has kind of like a face. Like, and because it, se- it seems to move with intention, it is so easy to therefore assign it intention. So like, if you have these things that are just doing their own plant business, like I'm just trying to pollinate, yo. And like, you know, you get whipped as a side effect. It's so easy to be like, yeah, you know, it was coming for my house and then it whipped me in the face. It's like, well, no, you, you, I don't know. There's a bunch of dead, like, you, you know, there's a bunch of dead things out over there. I don't know. You got a compost <laughs> pile. You got a compost yeah. pile. And yeah. like, and then you yeah. got too touchy feely <laughs> with the plant. I, I like the thought that one guy one time <laughs> got whipped in the face. And now yes. that's what is known about Triffids. Yes. We need to get rid of these things. They're a scourge. <laughs> it, well, it's like the, um, the urethra fish. Oh, the Candiru. Oh. The Candiru, where like, yeah, there's one possibly apocryphal story yep. about where one ended up, and now that is the thing that everyone thinks they know to be true about this yep. type of fish. Yeah, one guy, D- D- Bob, got slashed in the face by this this plant one time. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, 
I also like because we also have the mythos that would set up very well for if it's a plant that you that is known of like, hey, yeah, don't get scratched by that because you're going to you're probably going to have to go to the to the healer or the hospital because uh, you're going to get sick and might die like that thing is potentially fatal. And then we keep finding them around bodies. Yeah. yeah. Like we keep finding them growing beside you know, where they were definitely not like this was definitely not here last week and then old man jenkins got drunk and finally passed out in the woods and we found triffids around his body yeah getting slowly closer yeah he he must have gotten taken by the triffids okay so i love that and the whole time that you were talking i was thinking about like the way the presence of triffids would influence funerary practices Oh, yeah. <laughs> because think about it. If you bury a body, a triffid is going to mosey on over there and like, this is, these are my nutrients things. Yep. Like, oh, I just, I like yeah. just kind of the mythos associated with that with like, you know. Well, and in that mentality, what you mentioned about like a compost heap, that would go very well along with like, oh, yeah, they like to wait around houses. Yeah. yeah. They like well, to wait around Especially where you're if living. You're in, like a farming yeah. village. Oh, yeah. They will, they're going to gather around, so be careful, because they will wait for you. Uh, yeah. Change up your patterns. Well, and the thought of someone walking out their door in the morning, and then getting whipped by a triffid, because they didn't notice that it is now standing there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I really like the journey that we took with this. So yeah. this is this is a palm yeah. uh, going off. And uh, the other thing I was going to mention is our triffid, as trees slash tree-like things go, is relatively small. Mm-hmm. If we're yep. keeping it seven feet tall and relatively leafless. Yes. Which I would imagine makes some sense if you're getting a lot of your nutrients through mm-hmm. carnivorian scavenging. Yep. You can yeah. get away with uh, not having to rely so heavily on other sources of energy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of in that respect, it's it's very much like a parasitic plant. Yeah. Yeah. Like ghost pipe and things like that. They don't have to be photosynthetic because like, you know, they're getting all of those, those sugars, those nutrients from another source. I don't need the sun. Yeah. I got, I got some backup, but you know, like. (laughs) I just need you. Yeah. (laughs) So we have a palm Mm -hmm. with not necessarily ephemeral roots, but rapidly Mm -hmm. adjusting roots. Mm Mm-hmm. That yeah. have that hydraulic constriction system that allows it to drag itself. Yes. Clattery, loose bark around the bottom, which maybe is a defense mechanism. I'm moving here. Well, know, no, I can see that being one of those things like at your mobile, uh, yeah. you're going to bump into stuff. You're going to rub up against stuff. Yeah. It could be armor for, yeah. you know, oh, that's true. if I, if I put, I can't see what's in front of me because I'm a plant. Right. So when I shift and if there's a branch that's about to clothesline me, I need to not get snapped. Oh, I, like I like that. So maybe I that's really why like it's that. armored. And then Very up good. at the top, we have a flower, a true mm-hmm. flower or flower-like structure. I that think is it there. could be a flower. It's an angiosperm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a monocot you mentioned, which I think yeah. makes it our first monocot. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, of our monster plants. I was wondering Diversity. if we were going to end up with like a moss or a fern at some point. But a palm's pretty cool. Yeah. 
I, I, I realized that there was probably no way that I was going to do something that wasn't an, an angiosperm because I am so <laughs> angiosperm centric. But hey, the fact we had a monocot, like that's close. Yeah. Like Next time, conifers. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say, all, all the conifer people can now get mad at you. <laughs> like sorry. all of the plant people get mad at us for <laughs> the yes, animal stuff. Exactly. I mean, listen, basically all of our spooky creations have been vertebrates. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. That's guys. true. <laughs> and this flower is there to receive uh, reproductive stuff. And food, like a, mm-hmm. you know, flower. Yeah. And it's got its vine that is covered in thorns and sticky stuff to collect pollen and bugs. And as a secondary defense mechanism for if something bumps against it. And then it drags itself towards corpses and stuff. Yeah. And it's the angler fig. I also like the, the vine collecting the pollen because that, I, I forgot to mention this when we first came up with it, but that connects nicely with the 95% infertility that like... yeah. Yeah, it's passively collecting just whatever comes by. Mm-hmm. If there's not a real dense population of triffids, it might take it a while to actually get fertilized mm-hmm. because it's not, yeah. they can't aim at each other and there's not anyone moving it. So it's just, if you happen to collect pollen, if the next one though is like miles away, you might you might go a while before you finally mm-hmm. can reproduce. Also, it's also fair to point out that it could also collect pollen from the bugs Yes. That it's trapping. <laughs> True. Like, if one of yeah. them landed on a triffid and got away. Yeah. yeah. If there's the triffid fly that is able to get in there. Yes. And oh, not get yeah. stuck or something. Because, oh, of course, there would. Oh, yeah. Every one of the plants <laughs> we have created <laughs> yes. would have insects, of course. Oh, yeah. In its natural environment. That, like, yeah, there would definitely be a, a insect or a spider or something that is adapted to crawling up and down the mm-hmm. vine and getting just the, picking the yeah. bugs off of it. Yeah. Yep. So listeners, we're not going to come up with the entire insect <laughs> the whole uh, ecosystem that, that lives. surrounds these plants, but if you want to come up with all the insects that would be adapted. Yes, please. Uh, there is there is a I forget what it's called, but there is a larva of a fly I think that lives on sundews. Ooh. And, and I think secretes a solution that prevents it from getting trapped. Cool. Teflon. <laughs> but it, so like it doesn't get stuck on the sundew, but it so it's able to crawl around and eat the other bugs that get stuck. Oh, that's so good. I mean, yeah, it's like the the things that live in pitcher plants. It's a larval kleptoparasite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I'm here for that. So yeah, this the the angler fig would absolutely have angler fig flies. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm so into it. Also, I was thinking about this as you were explaining. In terms of like what reproductive like what part of the flower it is i kind of because you said there were stamens like you did mention specifically that's, the part that's of, what yeah. it was described as on the yeah. the triffid info site yeah so i almost think about like it's like they could be like these these vine structures could also just be like modif- modified petals that are just like Ooh. ancillary because plants love to modify bits of the flower. Like, sorry, fun f- side note, fun fact, flowering dogwood, the part of the flower that you think is a petal is not. <laughs> it's a bract. It's not part of the flower at all. <laughs> Neat. Yeah. I, I, I like our triffid. I like it. I like the angular fit, the angular fig. I also like that we came up with an, by we, I mean me, uh, I came up with a name. You can be proud of yourself. Yeah, no, I, I like uh, <laughs> angler fig. Angler fig is so good. I That's know. It. 
That's a very good name. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> TM. That's right. You can't tell you that copyright right now. Yeah. <laughs> don't 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 send your lawyers to us, Wyndham. No one can do it. I like it a lot. I think we did it, y'all. And with that, we're we can start wrapping up spooky for this year. As oh. usual, if you have any thoughts about triffids and how they could exist in our real world, or if you want to draw the angler fig. We would be so happy to see it and share it. So let us know. This is going to wrap up this year's spooky. This is it. The end of Monster Plants. Yeah. We had the funeral flower, our uh, Venus sky trap. Yep. Oh, our... that's so <laughs> good. People eating plant. We have our wailing willows. Yep. Our walking, talking trees. Kind of. We had our mandrakes. Yep. Yes. And now we have our triffids, our version of triffids, our angler fig. That's a pretty good spooky like lineup for a year. I like it. That's now we can have a spooky garden. Yes. <gasps> I oh yes. Again. I also just like the idea of of multiple plants walking, but like just chilling around in the uh the spooky verse like yeah. that makes me so happy. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's to to fun to think about which like which of our other spooky verse creations would live on our wailing willow exactly like who's gonna overlap would our shrew (laughs) vampire crawl around in the among the branches Mm -hmm. (laughs) would our angler figs be drawn to our funeral flowers right like moving towards them that's true well would the funeral flower have to develop chemical defenses to ward away angler angler figs figs Mm -hmm. from getting in there and Stealing its nutrients. Our harpies could be the ones chucking the whistling fruits. (laughs) That's true. Well, a bunch of a bunch of angsty primates. I was gonna say primates chucking fruits. Yes, that checks out on brand. (laughs) We do do that. (laughs) We had a whole conversation about which fruit was best to chuck. That's right. That's right. Well, a big thanks to everyone for listening to Spooky. A big thanks. I think that, you know, we haven't done this in the past, but since there's three of us, it feels more apropos to say big thanks to Will for <laughs> looking up all these. Yes! As I have often said, it, Spooky is the easiest thing for me that we do. Because I have to, I, the, the only preparation I have to come up with is what funny thing am I going to do at the very beginning? <laughs> yep. And that's it. And all the rest of it is is just Will putting in work. Uh, and Allie, you had to do even less. You just had to know about plants. I, I had one line. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. Because normally when I'm on here, I do all sorts of prep work and like mm. make sure that I know what I'm talking about. And today it was like, I get to talk about plants. And that was it. Yeah. Yep. So it's relaxed. It's fun. So thanks, Will, for making spooky happen. Thanks, Will. It's wonderful. It is my pleasure I love this show and I love getting to learn about monsters. And of course, huge thanks to Allie for being our first ever spooky guest. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, this was so much fun. I am so glad. So hold on, hold on. I'm, th- let me tell you how the sausage is made. They've been asking me for a very long time. And we're so <laughs> like David gets all of the credit in the world because he has been slowly like reminding me for months, hey, we want to do this thing in October. You started asking me in January. Like, I started asking you last year. Yeah, that's true. Actually, last like because we had considered doing this. Yes. So, uh, again, more a little bit more behind the scenes, and then we got to wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
we were ready to do this last year. Yep. Yeah. But Allie, you were unavailable. Yeah. Yeah. So we did Sea Monsters instead. And we were like, all right, once Allie's available, plans. <laughs> yeah. So last year, you're like, okay, next year, we would like you to do this. And then starting like in January, like, okay, I'm going to ask you later this year if you'd like to do this. And then a few months later, you're like, Okay, but like, really, do you want to do this? So I appreciate, like, kudos to, to to Will for doing all of the background, but kudos to David for like wrangling me. Yeah, for getting our guests. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I hung out that angler vine. <laughs> yes, threw her in. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everyone. We we love doing this one so much. Let us know what your thoughts are, and we will see you next year for another round of Spooky. Yeah, do a Triffid impression. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.